Hey, what are you drinking? A vodka gimlet. Lacey's looking at me weird. This isn't my usual drink, but our lovely listener Jeanette bought it for us. So I'm giving it a try. Yes, we both are. And y'all can do it too. If you want to help support us, you don't want to worry about a monthly fee. You can now sponsor a cocktail. When you sponsor a drink, we'll give you an on-air shout out and love you forever. We do record in advance. So if you want to give a birthday shout out, just keep that in mind. Yeah. And if you give us a drink recommendation, we will try it out. Doesn't mean we'll like it. <laughs> and I will be honest if I don't Ashley's like it. Ashley's always very I'm honest a, about the drinks. The hardest critic. <laughs> so head to www.buymeacoffee slash US of M podcast to buy us a drink. And then, of course, we'll link this up in our show notes. Cheers! This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley. And this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Virginia discussing the Lover's Lane murders. Then, we'll talk about the Farmville murders. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Old Dominion. The Colonial Parkway is a scenic 23-mile stretch of Virginia that connects Jamestown, Williamsburg, and Yorktown, creating a triangle. No semis are allowed. The speed limit is 35. It's toll-free and no commercial developments along the way. So no McDonald's. Picnic areas and scenic lookouts. Most of the parking spots have a 20-minute limit, and it gets very dark here at night. There are no streetlights and low-hanging trees. This place became a lover's lane. Every town has them. It's a place the young folks go to play kissy face and do other things that one does in a car at night. This was also a hangout for underage drinking, so there were two patrol officers on at all times to try and stop shenanigans. This was a historical place, after all, that people went out of their way to travel and visit. It's hard to think about a place so beautiful and safe being the scene of multiple gruesome murders, but that's exactly what happened here starting in 1986. Over the next four years, there would be four young couples brutally murdered here. These cases remain unsolved to this day. On October 12, 1986, a jogger saw a car down an embankment on Colonial Parkway. It was about 35 feet from the roadway. You couldn't see it from the road, and the jogger was running along the riverbank, and that's where he spotted it. The highway patrol arrived on scene and found two bodies inside the car. Two young women, who were later identified as 27-year-old Annapolis Naval Academy graduate Kathy Thomas from Lowell, Massachusetts. Kathy was one of the first women to graduate from Annapolis. She'd retired after serving five years in the Navy and was now working as a stockbroker. The other girl, 21-year-old Rebecca Dowski, who was a senior at the prestigious William and Mary College, majoring in business management. They had been missing since October 9th after leaving the computer lab together. What most people didn't realize 
is that these two women were a couple. They were dating. This was 1986 in Virginia, so this was not the norm. Yeah. Kathy's family knew she was a lesbian, and they were looking forward to meeting her friend Rebecca at Thanksgiving. Rebecca's family did not know, so they weren't out, so to speak, in the public eye Mm -hmm. anyways. Friends would say they would often go for drives along the Colonial Parkway where they could be alone. And these friends were supposed to see Rebecca the next day. And when she didn't show up, they called police, but nothing was done. Not until the jogger came upon the overturned car. Both women had been bound with rope and strangled. The ropes had been removed and were not at the scene, but there were rope burns on both of their throats and wrists. Both of their throats were also cut so deeply that they were almost decapitated. Oh my gosh. Kathy's body was found in the hatchback of the car. And when it was removed, they could see down her windpipe. The skin on Kathy's right hand between her thumb and pointer finger was also ripped. She had clearly fought back. And she had a clump of hair in her hand. Rebecca was in the back seat, so it's almost like maybe they were thrown when the car flipped, Mm -hmm. you know, and kind of ended up where they were. There was no evidence of sexual assault on either woman, so it was clear to detectives that the bodies were not killed there because there was hardly any blood inside the vehicle. So they had to have been killed somewhere else. With with that much stuff, yeah, Both women's purses were also found inside, so robbery was ruled out as a motive. The car was doused in gasoline, but it had failed to burn. The investigation eventually went cold, so there was no suspects, no witnesses, no fingerprints. And this was 86, so the clump of hair, you know what I mean? It's like there was no DNA. So in September of 1987... The bodies of another young couple were found by James River. 20-year-old David and Robin Edwards, who was 14. Ooh. It's a big age difference, even for the 80s. Yeah. The two had been missing since September 19th after meeting at an arcade earlier that day. Like, each couple had went with other people and had kind of started talking to each other. Kind of that meet-up thing. Like, they didn't know each other before that. Mm Mm-hmm. So that night, Robin snuck out of her house to meet up with 20-year-old David, and he met her around midnight, and he was known to hang out at the Ragged Island, which was a secluded wildlife refuge known for teenage makeout sessions mm-hmm. and drinking. And Robin had snuck out before, like, her mom worked nights, so she was kind of left to her own devices. Sure, that's easy to so it, yeah. Right. So it wasn't unusual for her to be out. Mm-hmm. Shenanigans. All the things. They were reported missing early Monday morning. And David's truck was found in a parking lot down by James River Bridge. The driver's side door was open. The keys were in the ignition. The car was turned off, but the radio was blaring. Hmm. Inside the car was his wallet, shoes, and two pairs of underwear. So hers and his. So robbery could have been the motive because her purse was missing. Right. His wallet was there, but her purse was gone. 
the driver's side window was halfway down too. So it's almost like, to me, strictly speculating, maybe someone came up and knocked on the window. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Two days later, Robin's body was found on the riverbank by a jogger who at first thought it was a pile of clothing. She was shot execution style in the back of the head. And when they found David's body, he had been shot twice. So different. Different locations. Different manners of death. Different manners of death. He had been shot twice, once in the head and once in the shoulder. Like he was away from it. Like he may have been running away. Robin's pants were halfway down. So it was hard for them to tell if she had been sexually assaulted because maybe the perp interrupted them too. And that's why her pants were down. They were killed about 30 minutes away from where Kathy and Rebecca's car had been found. Again, the police investigation Mm. went cold. There was no witnesses, no fingerprints, no evidence. So in April of 1988, aspiring model and gymnastics teacher Cassandra Haley, who was 18, and Richard Call, who was 20, who was a proclaimed computer geek, went missing after attending a college party together in Newport News. They mingled with each other that night at the party. They didn't really appear to be any romantic interest between the two. Hmm. They just kind of went to each friend group. Right. They weren't, you know, making out on the couch or hanging out with each other. They left the party early enough to get Cassandra home by her curfew, which was 1 a.m. The next morning on his way to work, Richard's dad actually spotted his son's car parked at the York River Overlooks along Colonial Parkway. The car was empty and this was about two miles from where Kathy and Rebecca were found. So I'm trying to give you a... Mm -hmm. So the car was empty. He pulls up, gets out, checks everything out, yells his son's name. Nothing. So he thinks... Okay, maybe he's got a girl out here and he's... So he just leaves and goes to work. Oh, boy. Yeah. Just leaves, goes to work. Park rangers come up on the car and the driver's side door is open. The keys are in the ignition. And they report the vehicle abandoned and it is impounded the next day. This father reported the car was in a completely different state than the park rangers had said. Because when he came up on it... He's like, I found the car. Yeah. I looked inside. It was empty. He wasn't in there. There was no one in the car. So I yelled for him and then left, not wanting to interrupt right. him or whatever. When the park rangers found it, they said that they had found Cassandra and Richard's clothing inside. Hmm. Richard's wallet, shoes, Cassandra's purse, one of Cassandra's shoes, and her bra. But her wallet was gone. So come to find out. The reason why these two reports were so completely different is because the park rangers had got there before the dad and took all the oh, stuff, like took or, it. They just like stole they, it oh out of this God, car. I was about to say, why would they take it? No, they like stole all this stuff why? that was in the car. And then after Richard and Cassandra were reported missing, the park rangers went back and put all of this stuff 
back in the car what? the best they could remember where it was. Why did they take it in the first to place? To steal it. But I mean, clothes? Shoes? Wallets? I, I mean, yes, they I, took it. I get I get wallets and stuff, but someone's clothes? That's and bra? That they were wearing? Yeah. They were just wearing it? Just mm-hmm. took everything that's out weird. of the car. Yeah, very weird. Very weird. But mm-hmm. then they put it all back when they... When they were reported missing, they were like, shit, we got to take the stuff and put it back in the car. Yes. And then that's how they reported they found it is, oh my gosh, we, we found all this stuff in the car. Yeah. And then the dad's like, um, no, no. you didn't. There was nothing in the car. There was no reason for these two to be on the parkway that night. This was not on the way home for either of them. They weren't hitting it off, so to speak, at the party. So they wouldn't have been going parking. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. I was about to say that I was wondering why maybe things changed and they ended up at a lover's lane, but I, I was kind of like, oh, it seems I guess they could have, but yeah. it, everyone that was questioned at the party was like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. That's not on the way home. They weren't, you know, like we need to be alone. It was yeah. like, we're leaving to take her home before her curfew. Hmm. So maybe they were killed somewhere else and driven there. You know, I mean, yeah. at this point, when the car is impounded, obviously the two have been reported missing. There were several extensive searches, but their bodies were never found. Like, Still to, to this, this day. day. That, um, no sign of either body. How can that happen after and, all these years? Yes, no bones. Nothing. Nothing. Hmm. So there's a theory that the two went skinny dipping, and that's why their bodies were never found. Because it was close to the river. Maybe they got swept away or undertow. But the temperature that night was like 40 degrees. So that seems very unlikely. And also the river was about a half a mile away from where they parked. So nobody's stripping down Mm -hmm. in 40 degree weather and walking a half a mile naked. There's no, that's. Yeah. So this theory's shot down pretty quickly. So now people are starting to go, what the fuck is happening? At Colonial Parkway. Like, there's, this is, sounds like a scary movie. Yeah, it does. Like, are all these connected? Is there a serial killer? There doesn't appear to be a clear motive with anybody. The causes of death are all different. And there are bodies that just vanished into thin air. So what, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's not like. Nothing's consistent except for the place. Right. There's no rape. There's no, everybody died by gunshots. You know what I mean? It's. All over the place. There's missing wallets this time. There's not this time. Yeah. There's no consistency. So None. There's, yeah. I, if there's I no pattern. a detective, I, I mean, right. what do you go off of? Right. So finally in 1988, the media gets wind of all of this and the connections of the cases. And the next year, the FBI offers a $10,000 reward on information on the cases. The families are wondering what the fuck is happening. Are these connected? Like, what's going on? Could this have just been a dumping ground for people who have murdered elsewhere and then just kind of brought them here? Or just abandoned, you know, where the killer abandoned the vehicles? You know what I mean? For a lover's lane, it's not very popular, it seems like. If there's well, never witnesses, I mean... Well, and it's dark and it's so late, it's, so it's like... Yeah. You would... You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess it's that kind of place, too, where people are sticking to their own cars. They're well, not, it's not like Well, you're there to yeah. stick to your own car. <laughs> <laughs> Who's to say? 
So about a year and a half later, two more young people go missing near Colonial Parkway. On Memorial Day weekend, 1989, Daniel Lauer, 21, was driving to his brother's house in Virginia Beach, and he was driving his brother's girlfriend. So Anna Maria Phelps, who was 18, like caught a ride with with her boyfriend's brother. On September 5th, they were reported missing. Their car was found abandoned at the New Kent rest stop on I-64. The car was found on the westbound side of the highway, which was the opposite direction of the way that they were going, which was confusing. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear if the two had pulled over there or if they were killed elsewhere and the killer just dropped their car there. Anna Maria's purse was found inside the car. Once again, ruling out robbery as a motive. Their bodies were found over a month later on October 19th by hunters on a logging road about a mile away. Mm. They were covered in blankets from Daniel's car and were badly decomposed, which made it impossible to determine their cause of death or if they had been wow. sexually assaulted. Wow, they couldn't even determine they couldn't, if the they bullet were, was wow. They were that mm. decomposed. There did appear to be stab marks in Anna Maria's bones. Suggesting maybe she had been stabbed to death. But just like the other cases, this one went cold and no killer was ever brought to justice. So, some people think it was a serial killer doing all this. Wait, we don't know? No. Oh my gosh, I thought this was a soft case. No, it's unsolved. No bodies, no evidence, no, like, no, nobody knows. So, All the victims had been killed either in their car or near it. Um, The first three were at Lover's Lane. None of them were robbed. Sexual assault wasn't a motive in any of the cases. The first and third murders were just miles apart. The second and fourth were about a half an hour away from the others. So they're just along this parkway that this stuff happens. Which sounds like a scary movie. Yeah, you think they have to be related, but then at the same time, there's no... no, Yeah. How do you even begin to figure that out? They're a lesbian couple. There's... They're not even a couple. That's her... They're friend. It's platonic. it's platonic. And then then there's a a couple. couple. Yeah, Yeah, it's random. Random. Do you happen to know their races? I believe they were all white. And it all happened within... Like I said, like four years of each other, but it's just along this stretch of highway. And it's almost like some of them may have been part playing yeah. kissy face and someone snuck up and murdered mm-hmm. them. And the other was just passing through. So it's like did, they could have stopped at the rest stop just to pee and somebody came upon them and murdered them. And it's always two, you know, two people. So right. someone has the upper hand somehow, which makes me think they surprise them or they have a gun holding it. Or even a knife. I mean, if somebody walked up to the car and and put a knife to your throat and told me, put these handcuffs on or I'm going to cut her throat, I would do it. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, but they're not raping and they're not stealing money. They're not taking cars. They're not stealing jewelry. All their jewelry was on. Um, There was an investigator that was called in, like a private investigator He believes that the murders of Kathy and Rebecca are not related to the other murders at all. In fact, he thinks they are connected to a double homicide that occurred in the Shenandoah National Park in 1996, 
where a young couple, Julie Williams, 24, and Lolly Winans, 26, were camping in the park over Memorial Day weekend, and when they didn't return home, they were reported missing. Hmm. Their bodies were found bound and gagged, similarly to Kathy and Rebecca's, and their throats had also been slit. So he believes those two murders were hate crimes committed by the same perp. So despite the theories that they may not be connected, many still believe that they are. And over the years, police have questioned over 150 suspects with all four of the cases, but all have been cleared. In 2018, the Facebook page Colonial Parkway Murders, which is run by Kathy's brother, Bill, revealed that DNA had been found at three of the four crime scenes that could be potentially conclusively linked to the case and lead to an arrest. Hair that was found in Kathy's hand and a biological sample found near Robin have never been tested. Why? But advances in DNA technology and resources like GEDmatch the families of the victims are hopeful that they will eventually get an answer. So, this case has been featured on Real Stories of the Highway Patrol, ID Channel's Sensing Murder, hmm. which I have never seen. I haven't either. Where psychics are brought in oh, to God. gain new insights on murder. And E! had a full documentary investigation, Serial Killers on the Loose, which featured the Colonial Parkway murders. And Michelle McNamara, uh-huh. author of I'll Be Gone in the Dark and On the Golden State Killer, published a two-part exploration on the Colonial Parkway murders in her true, true crime diary. So, yes, DNA wow. has never shown any matches. They don't know who it is. They don't know why they did it. It's not solved. I didn't really know much about this. I, I didn't either. Solved. I don't I yeah. mean, so, no, no solve, no nothing, hair, body juice, no matches. So, maybe one day people like I you hope, keep uploading their DNA. Is, man, how horrifying, though. I, it's like a triangle. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of Virginia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see his face. And now she I'm hates like, an unsolved murder. I, She's going to go down a rabbit now hole. Now I'm like, man. Yeah, you'll have to look it up. Okay. Very interesting. Let's take a quick break, and then I'll tell you about my case. Okay. Before I get into today's story, I'm going to chat a little bit about horrorcore. What? Yeah. This is a subgenre of hip-hop music. What? I'm guessing you've never heard of it. No. Well, (laughs) it's horror-themed. And horrorcore artists, which, by the way, that's very hard to say, horrorcore, horrorcore. They push the violent content and imagery in their lyrics beyond the realm of realistic urban violence. So it's violent, but it's supernatural-ish, you know? Give me a lyric. Sorry, I just made noise. The lyrics are usually gruesome, ghoulish, and unsettling. Oh, boy. I'll Google the first lyric that pops up on Google. So let's see. So this is Psycho Cutter. Yikes. And it the first... I don't even know. There's a lot of cats. (laughs) I was born in a bed of thorns. A devil scorned killed my mom and left her torn because I had a head with worms. Then I rose from the pits of hell to inflict a spell on you humans through my music because I knew this shit would sell. Ooh. Yeah. So there's that. That's That's dumb. That's that. Ooh. Woke up from the drug buzz. Now I got to torture more bitches. Oh Oh my my God. God. (laughs) 
I'm gory with saws and shit, mutilating pricks with 40 stitches. Ooh, that's that's dark even for us. Okay, we're like, that's we're immediately, enough. immediately. And what are you just putting this on your car and driving your kids to school? <laughs> what in the world? <laughs> driving to work? I don't know. To each their own. It's a very controversial genre of music, as I just read. Now I can see why. And fans and artists have been blamed for numerous high-profile instances of violence, including the Columbine High School Massacre. Well, I looked at a list of artists, and I have never heard of any of them except the Insane Clown Posse. I feel like that's probably the most popular one. I didn't realize that was horrorcore. They're horrorcore. That's what was said. And the Columbine shooters were apparently big fans of their music. That's I'm not saying people who listen to horrorcore are bad people or shooters no. or whatever, but just to show you there's a lot of controversial ties to this music. Well, you know. I can see that. So it was horrorcore rap that brought together Richard McCroskey, a.k.a. Psycho Sam, Spelled S-Y-K-O, by the way. And Emma Niederbrock. So I'm just going to call him Richard instead of Psycho Sam. But he was an amateur horrorcore rapper. And Emma was a big fan of the music. They met on MySpace. Not MySpace. In 2008 (laughs) and quickly bonded over music. Were you into MySpace? Yes. Really, I majorly was. It was. It started right in my high school heyday. Before Facebook, I remember I had to do my own HTML on the background. I don't know how I knew how to do any of that. No one ever showed me. I think I probably just Googled everything. Did they have Google in the 90s? Jeeps? I don't know. It was in the 90s. I remember. No, I remember MySpace when like I went to college. So it would have had to be like 2000, 2001, 2002. Yes. I think thought it was invented in like 2003. I don't know. I had it in... Was it? Let me Google. Did I just Fact age check. myself? Oh, it did come out in 2003. So, yeah. So, I was... Uh, that was like... I was out of... I was about to be out of college. Oh, like, okay. I was like late college. I knew I was in college. <laughs> I, I just couldn't remember if it was like... I knew. Early college or That's late so college. That's so funny. It was late college. Remember the top eight and all that? Oh, yeah. All the, yeah. And I love music on? friends. Just kidding. Well, I went back to my MySpace. I hadn't logged on in forever and I still- I tried to get on my MySpace and could not. Oh, my gosh. Well, I remember after a long hiatus, it kind of changed like- Now it's the like format. for music. Yeah, the format and everything's changed and I lost all my blog posts, all my messages from friends in high school. <laughs> I was so mad. My music on there right now is Do You Realize by the Flaming Lips. Oh, my I probably God. said that when I was- I don't even remember, but- Anyway, he was 20 years old and living in San Francisco with his sister. And Emma was a 16-year-old living with her mom in Farmville, Virginia. Richard dropped out of high school because he was bullied for being overweight, an outcast, and for being a redhead. Because of this, he had very few friends, so he spent the majority of his time on the internet. His name was Psycho Sam because he was obsessed with the serial killer, Son of Sam. He also had raps on his MySpace about killing, maiming, and mutilating people. And on his YouTube channel, his name was Lil Demon Dog. (laughs) (laughs) 
But because it was another <laughs> Son of Sam reference. That's swipes on me. <laughs> oh, and I will post pictures in. Yeah. Uh, he also posted a video of himself after he flipped over a cross on the grave of a U.S. Marine. Oh, like, no. Like, who posts that on their mind? Mm-mm. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. He had all the red flags. Emma was homeschooled, and her dad was a pastor, and her mom was a professor in sociology and criminal justice at Longwood University. Her parents divorced in the beginning of 2009, and Emma stayed in the family home with her mom, and her dad moved out. Emma also spent a lot of time on the internet, mostly MySpace. She went by Ragdoll. I'm going to interject. I didn't go by anything. I just, it was my name. I think mom was just planning too. I, I don't know. Maybe it was more, this is more so a horror core thing. So she went by Ragdoll and loved meeting other horror core fans. So that's kind of why she was on there. In September of 2009, they met in real life for the first time. So she and Richard had been talking on the phone for the past year. Almost every single day. So Emma went to a horrorcore festival called Strictly for the Wicked with her friend Melanie Wells in Southgate, Michigan. That sounds like some shit you would drag me to. No, not (laughs) this. And man, they were 16. That sounds scary. It sounds a little ominous for sure. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I hate to sound like I'm always, don't blame music for things. But if I were a parent, I'd be like, oh, my God. Like, these lyrics are I mean, this ain't no walk. <laughs> no like, walk. Come on. <laughs> At this point, Richard thought he and Emma were together. They had been talking on the phone every day for a year. Emma would send him flirty messages, but I don't think she considered him her boyfriend. And you'll see why soon. I mean, just a, a DM. They were does talking. Not they were not an official couple, make. right? Yes. But he took it that way. Emma's parents were concerned about her meeting Richard. She was a minor at this point and four years younger than Richard, which is a lot when you're 16. And he's 20 out of, he's dropped out of high school. They're totally different worlds. But Emma's parents, Mark and Deborah, together, even though they're divorced, agreed to go together and take them all to this festival in Michigan, which was about a 10-hour drive if you don't take any stops. These parents are really trying to. No, I don't love know, Max that much. They're like, we're gonna. You <laughs> yes, know, I they're do. recently divorced. They're probably like, let's. This is her happiness. Mm-hmm. I don't know. After the festival on September 14th, they all drove back to Emma's Farmville home in Virginia, and they agreed that Richard could stay there for a few days. So again, he's from San Francisco. Well, Emma's dad, of course, you know, he didn't live there. He had his own place. So he went back to his home. So it's Emma, her mom, her friend Melanie for the night because she lives in West Virginia and Mm -hmm. Richard. Based on their messages, Emma had been flirty with Richard for the past year. But when she saw him in person, there were no sparks. This sounds like one of your... It be like that sometimes. He wasn't who she was expecting. He looked like a totally different person in real life. He was shorter than she was expecting. And looked a lot younger than 20 in real life. Mm -hmm. She also didn't find him very attractive. Oh, no. Yeah, he looked younger than 20, and he also acted younger. He seemed kind of like an immature teenage boy, 
And not that 20 is much older, but to her, she was expecting this mature 20-year-old guy. But at this point, Emma had decided in her head, I'm assuming, she wasn't going to flirt with him anymore. She was like, ooh, I'm I'm not into it. But she was still nice to him, but she distanced herself. Right. Noticeably so. Right. At the festival, she was allegedly flirtatious with other guys. And Richard noticed, and he noticed her texting other guys, and he was not happy about this. I mean, he still kind of thought, this is my girlfriend, and we meet after all this time, and she's not happy to see me. At 2.43 a.m., Emma's friend Melanie posted on her MySpace about how awesome the festival was. So once Melanie returned to Virginia, Melanie's parents couldn't get a hold of her, and they started to worry about her. Melanie's parents lived about 200 miles away in West Virginia, so Melanie came down to go with Emma for the concert and was Mm going to go back. Once she didn't come home, they decided to drive to Virginia and see what the deal was. They arrived at the Niederbrock's home, and no one answered the door. They couldn't get a hold of anyone, so they waited seven hours outside of their home thinking, at some point, they're going to come home. Oh, my God. Yeah, they're waiting for them to get home, and they felt like something was wrong. Melanie's mom did some of her own digging and found the phone number for the people that organized the festival in Michigan. So while Melanie was supposed to be in Virginia, the you know festival's in Michigan, so her mom's like, maybe they're in Michigan still. I don't know. Believe it or not... They answered these people that ran the festival and said they had seen Emma 